So I had an eventful week this week. I uh, flew with my family to Memphis for the KU-Arkansas-Liberty Bowl game that mm. you and everyone else has seen was quite the drama. They uh, KU was down real late. They stormed back, triple overtime, lost the game, and I just wanted to regale you with uh, I was at the game. Arkansas had the ball. They were up 15 with two minutes left. And I'm mm-hmm. like, all right. Yep. I'm – I'm trying to not trying to wait in line for Ubers because there's only going to be like it's going to be a mess to get out of here. So probably get shot in Memphis waiting for Uber. It was it was kind of a shithole there. Yeah. So my family and I uh, get up and we start to leave and we get to a gas station across the street from the stadium and somebody's watching on their phone and they go, we got it. And he's got a KU stuff on. I'm like, what'd we get? They, they had the ball and we were down 15. He said, we got the onside kick. And I'm like, what? And KU got the ball back with a minute left down eight and marched right down the field, scored the touchdown, scored the two point conversion. And we're all freaking out going, I can't believe we left. Blah, blah, blah. So me and the group I was with my little brother and uh, some other guys, we, Went back to the stadium, and even though they were denying re-entry access, obviously, as all sports. That's all stadiums do. Every sport in America. Right. Uh, There was, since this was an outdoor football stadium, a chain-link fence that just was left open that just walked right into the stadium. And we kind of just looked around. There was no security. Nobody was checking out that fence so we walked right walked right in and got to the ramp and went back to our seats so we were some of the fortunate few i'm I'm guessing maybe the only four people that left that were able to get back in but um stayed for the late it was a four and a half hour college football game which is a it's a marathon and i'm sure as you can tell i sound exhausted i think my hangover from Beale Street turned into a fever pretty quickly. So I'm under the weather, but, um, you know, I'm I'm here to talk Chiefs football, and I'm ready to roll. Yeah, at least KU won the game. Mm-hmm. Welcome in to It's Always Sunny in Cheese Kingdom. I'm Austin. You can find me on Twitter at Real Bird Lawyer. Here with me as always, despite his hangover turned fever, my co-host Taylor, Taylor underscore wit. You kind of already filled me in on what was going on. I'll just uh, add my two cents to this game. I actually watched the last two minutes of this game and overtime, and it made me furious. I tweeted through it. Anybody who uh, was following me on Twitter, uh, college football is a terrible product, and I hated every second of it, but I couldn't turn it off. Yeah. Because it was so absurd and so berserk, and the sudden death two point conversion thing—that's terrible. Penalty oh kicks, <laughs> like like when Ku just didn't convert the two point conversion and Bean airmailed it. I was like, "What? What? The game's just over? Yeah. What? What is? What is happening?" Starting in the third overtime, uh, they just go back and forth. It's absolutely uh, preposterous. It's a terrible yeah. product. Yeah, it's a weird sitch. We're brought to you by the Pigskin Podcast Network at pigskinpodnet. Check out our partners, DraftKings, Underdog Fantasy. We've got a great show for you guys this week, a short show to spare Taylor's voice. We've got news, news, news. We've got what is happening, which is not going to include what's going on with the Denver Broncos. We'll hit them at the end. We will recap the Chiefs' thrilling victory over the Seattle Seahawks. And then 
in lieu of a game preview, you know, per se, um, not super helpful since the Chiefs just played the Broncos. The Chiefs obviously are much better than the Broncos. I'm not going to say that the Chiefs are going to blow the Broncos out. We, we don't do that on this podcast anymore. But it's going to end up being less of a game preview and more of just kind of like an extended windmill dunk on the entire Broncos organization. So uh, we'll hit that at the end. But first, the Injury report is really the only news to report this week, and the Chiefs are looking good. The only one who did not practice on Thursday was tackle Prince Teguanogo. That was a DNP for an illness. Michael Burton, Noah Gray, Derek Nadi, and Andrew Wiley are all listed on the injury report, but they are all full participants. Nicole Hardman is expected to return to the Chiefs this week, barring a setback. He's coming off of the uh, injury report, and... I mean, he's coming off of IR, I should say, which is also mm-hmm. technically an, an injury report. It's injured reserve. Reserve. In any yeah. case, he's coming off of injured reserve. He is expected to play in this game. Chiefs are like outrageously healthy, knock on wood. Yeah. Uh, considering that it's uh, two weeks to go in the regular season. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been one of the main reasons that, you know, towards the end of this year, we've felt pretty good about where the team is because they're just not missing anybody. I mean, I guess Turk Wharton's on injured reserve, and I think he's kind of the only guy that's really, like, missing from the preseason plans. I mean, it's really been very healthy. And like you said, knock on wood, we'll see how it goes from here on till the Super Bowl win. But, uh, yeah, looking looking nice. So, I don't know. Has anything else happened since we played the Broncos? I mean, that was just a couple of weeks ago. Surely uh, surely not too many people kicked the, kicked the bucket between yeah, that and now. The old death list that we opened up with three weeks ago when the Chiefs played the Broncos. I'm obviously not going to go through, first of all, my voice, but second of all, <laughs> not, not going to do seven minutes of, uh, of the death list. We will save that for next season. But I do want to mention Mike Leach, who was a big, big, influential college football coach and great dude. Uh, He passed away December 13th. And then we've also had Franco Harris, who passed away literally the day before they were going to uh, do all this immaculate reception stuff, the 50 year anniversary of that. That was super sad. And then um, Pele, uh, a Brazilian legend, soccer legend. Yeah, soccer footballer. Yep, passed away today. Uh, and Ronnie Hillman. Ronnie Hillman becomes the yeah. second member of the 2015 Denver Broncos that didn't make it to another Broncos victory over the Chiefs. He, yeah. of course, he and Demaris Thomas have both passed away since that game. Um, but he had liver cancer, which is just yeah brutal and horrible and really, yeah. really sad. So um, RIP to those guys. Uh, yeah, you know, RIP to all those guys. Those are those are yeah. uh, some quality people that we lost. No, uh, you know, no uh, Jeff F scenes in there, so that's good. RIP to uh, to that group of of people. Let's talk about what is happening. Okay, so we got a big game this weekend. Mm-hmm. It's not the Chiefs versus the Broncos because you know I, I'm not going to say it's a formality. We've gotten into trouble doing that on this podcast before. Sure, We're not do that, but. This game means literally as much to the Chiefs as their game on Sunday does. The Bengals and the Bills on Monday Night Football, the only game this week that involves two teams with winning records. Wow. Every other game game this week is a winner versus a loser. No way. Which is almost impossible this late. That's crazy. So, because, of course, the, the NFL scheduled this 
you know, months and months ago. And uh, it's on Monday Night Football. It's in primetime. The Bengals are a game back of the Chiefs. The Bills are tied with the Chiefs with the same record. The Chiefs do not have the tiebreaker against either one. But if the Chiefs win out, they'll stay ahead of the Bengals. So go Bengals this week. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's basically like a playoff game for the Chiefs in the sense that if the Bengals win this game, you know, the Chiefs have the first round bye and they have home field advantage and all that's because let's face it. I mean, the Chiefs aren't going to lose again in the regular season. So Correct. it's basically the Bengals win and the Chiefs are the one. And if the Bengals lose, then we're going to need to root for the Patriots to beat the Bills in week 18 or else Probably the Chiefs not are not going to get the one. So um, very much big time. Go Bengals. Go Bengals. We'll talk about that game and obviously recap all the implications there, but should be a good one on Monday Night Football this week. We got to talk about the Raiders. We're going to talk about the Broncos and they get their own special get dunked on segment at the end because we happen to be playing them this week, but we play the Raiders in two weeks and boy, uh, they obviously are, are actually not officially eliminated from playoff contention. They would need literally like a billion things to go right for them. There's five to four teams ahead of them, I think for the final wild card spot. And they're literally going to be eliminated by like the end of the Sunday games this week. But the Raiders still technically not eliminated from playoff contention, but they have decided to bench quarterback Derek Carr and start former Patriot Jarrett Stidham for the final two games of the regular season. It sounds like the rumor going around is that they're going to be sitting some other veteran players, maybe playing some of the younger guys on the back end of the roster. So it's not clear yet whether that's going to include Devontae Adams, whether that's going to include Josh Jacobs. It's an interesting situation with Carr because he does have an injury guarantee in his contract. And it does appear that that might motivate them somewhat to, you know, hold him out the final two games. But it also seems to indicate, and the rumors are certainly spreading around from football insiders to this effect, that he's probably not going to be on the Raiders next year, that they are, you know, shopping him around for a potential trade partner. There are plenty of teams that could, you know, potentially use a veteran quarterback and, and maybe be interested in Derek Carr. But woof, he left the team with permission because he doesn't want to be a distraction. What is going on with the Raiders? I think the car leaving the team is the most interesting part of this scenario. Just from for sure. Who does that ever see that you never, ever, ever see a guy get benched and just say, I'm out. I'm not even going to hang with the guys be a distraction. Like if you're a good leader, you're not a distraction like that. It Isn't doesn't it way more distracting that he's not that he's, on, not, that he's yes, not with the team. Yes, I was gonna say, like it's just it's it became a whole thing when he left. And I mean it benching him makes a lot of sense from a franchise flexibility standpoint as far as what they can do with the quarterback position next year. Because if they didn't bench him and if he did get hurt and if he did trigger that auto you know, fully guaranteed contract next year, they're stuck with him. And even if they want to bring him back, they didn't want to be have their hand forced. They wanted to be able to make that decision in the offseason. So I I get it. It's it's weird, but like, you know, they have less than a one percent chance to make the playoffs. So it's not really it would it would play a lot better if they were eliminated. I'll say that much. I mean the fact that they could make it, you and I were texting after this happened, what happens if it comes down to the week 18 game Raiders Chiefs at Vegas is Stidham really going to start that game if it's win and get in like that that'd be crazy that'd be absolutely 
one of the craziest things that's happened in a crazy NFL season if the Raiders benched Carr and then could have made the playoffs. But, I mean, that would be wild. But, um, you know, the, the Raiders are a mess. They've been a mess for our entire adult lives since their 2002 Super Bowl appearance. They have been an absolute abject disaster. And whether it's Carr or whether it's McDaniels or whether it's Mark Davis or whether it's all of them, it's just – They've all combined to make the most ridiculous display of of professional footballing that I mean that the sport has seen. Like they've just been a complete joke. And this is another chapter to that. They added Devontae Adams. They added Chandler Jones to a playoff team, and they're sitting there at six and nine and hey. com- completely busted. Like it's just crazy. Hey. It's tough. It's tough. And they obviously had to accept the resignation of disgraced former coach John Gruden in the middle of the season last year. Still made the playoffs with Richie And here we are a year later. They are uh, a pit of despair and uh, they've returned to the pit after one brief playoff appearance in which they immediately got eliminated by the Bengals. Uh, they've returned to the pit of despair and they're not getting out anytime soon. It just they own the pit. They They are the pit. They were born in it, molded by it. By the time they escaped, uh, something about the light being blinding to them. Whatever. Go the whole whole thing. Batman, but yeah, yeah. Been a while since I've seen Batman, but you know something like that. We are going to talk more about the Raiders next week. But boy, uh, rest assured that will be uh, a laugher, a walkover in Week 18. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN, place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN, minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Well, let's talk about the Chiefs game from this past Saturday. I almost said Sunday, but I caught myself there. Christmas mm-hmm. Eve, the Chiefs hosted the Seattle Seahawks in what I'm sure was a very unpleasantly cold Arrowhead Stadium. It certainly was unpleasantly cold in my backyard at home in Kansas City where I was to spend the holidays with my family. I, it got very cold. I don't know about the, you know, real feel 40, negative 40 degree temperatures that we were discussing on the podcast last week. Probably yeah. wasn't quite that cold, but it was very cold. And the Chiefs take care of business in this game. They dominate really from start to finish. They were up 24 to three in this game. Beat the Seahawks. Let's just get straight into the Chiefs system because, as always, the Chiefs implemented the system in a victory. Uh, The Chiefs system, for those of you who don't know, is create drama, handle adversity, inspire hope, engage physically, finish strong, separate entirely. And the create drama here was created by Mother Nature. Before the game even started, the drama here was the elements. The game time temperature of 12 degrees was the coldest game in Arrowhead since 2016, and then... Next time it was that cold before that was like 2008. So, I mean, it doesn't drop down to 12 degrees very often in Arrowhead. Um, But then after that drama was created, the Chiefs handled the adversity after trading punts with Seattle on the first possessions for each one. 
The Chiefs opened up the scoring in the game with a nine-play, 63-yard touchdown drive that only had one third-down attempt, which was a short third-down and one that was converted by a Pacheco run. And otherwise, they stayed ahead of the sticks, and they just kept marching first and second down um, conversions and handled the adversity of the cold really, really well at that point uh, and inspired hope, leading 7 nothing with eight minutes left in the first half. Mahomes found his new favorite target, Jerick McKinnon, who powered his way into the end zone, had contact around the five and just churned the legs. And, and you know, you don't really think of McKinnon as a power guy. You think of him as a speed guy. But uh, he broke through one of the many missed tackles by Seattle on that play and broke through for the 14-0 lead and engaged physically. We, we will talk about those Seattle missed tackles. They missed eight of them in this game, four of them by linebacker Jordan Brooks alone. Um Engaging physically was more about, in this case, the Seahawks not engaging physically with the Chiefs. It wasn't really as much of a physically dominant game by the Chiefs, but it takes Seattle Tango. It does, and and only one one person came to Tango in that day, and that was not Seattle. Uh, finishing strong was a Juan Thornhill pick off of Geno Smith when uh, you know the game was kind of it was going back and forth. It wasn't really ever in doubt, like you said. It was dominated from start to finish, but it was seventeen three. And so when the Chiefs are up 14 and Seattle's driving with seven minutes left, if Seattle scores there, it's a one possession game. And then you've got to go do something. But instead, on a deep left pass, um, Thornhill intercepted it in the end zone. And that was uh, that was a great way to finish strong, because then all it took to separate entirely was Patrick Mahomes to create another Patrick Mahomes highlight reel that he's so been known to do. rushing to his right on third and goal. It seems like all these highlights happen on third down for him where, or fourth, where you absolutely have to have a play. Can't, you know, no margin for error. And he's rushing to his right, kind of dekes a couple of the defenders that are chasing him, as we've seen time and time again with his rushes, and then dunks the ball in the outer just barely touches the outer part of the pylon and while supporting his entire body weight with his while supporting his weight with his left hand against right up like an inch away from the sideline, then screams. I touched that shit. I touched that shit. I touched that shit into the camera, which was a great mic'd up moment for him. And, uh, and he did, he did touch that shit and he scored there on a rushing touchdown. The MVP showed why he can put a team on his back in cold weather and go beat, a Seattle team that is in the hunt for the playoffs by two touchdowns. And he separated entirely on that dunk and the chief system once again applies. It applies. It prevails. The chiefs notch another victory, creating drama, handling adversity, inspiring hope, engaging physically, finishing strong and separating entirely. Let's turn to our awards from this game. For those of you who are unfamiliar with our awards segment, we have our five-star men. Our trash men. I'm the trash man. I come out, I throw trash all over the all over the ring. And then I start eating garbage. And our wild cards. Wild garbages! Fairly self-explanatory. The five-star men first. I will start. Uh, I'm taking George Karloftis. We've been giving quite a bit of love to the defense lately, and Boy, if there was ever a game to give love to the 2022 Chiefs defense, yeah, this was the one. They were flying around and making plays. They were extremely physical in this game. Seattle was missing Tyler Lockett, but they had Kenneth Walker, who, when we recorded the preview show, thought maybe was not going to play in this game. I mean, just really strong in the run game. The tackling was very good. 
The coverage was excellent. Obviously, you have at least one physical specimen in DK Metcalf, you know, on that Seattle team that, I mean, if you can cover him from a physical standpoint, there's, you can cover any receiver in the NFL. Yes, absolutely. Physical tools standpoint, DK Metcalf is as imposing a receiver as you'll see. And he did, you know, put up 81 yards on seven catches, nine targets, but for him, not an incredibly efficient performance and didn't get in the end zone. So I'm taking George Karloff in this, in this game. There's obviously a lot of defenders that, uh, that certainly could have fit the bill here, but uh, George Karloftis with the Chiefs only, or excuse me, not the Chiefs only sack. They had a couple of sacks in this game. One of two. Chris, yeah. Chris Jones had one as well. But uh, Karloftis with another sack and uh, a pass deflection as well. He's been racking up the pass deflections, but he really he's he's been coming on lately. I mean, he just looks like a different player in the second half. And, you know, in the last uh, four, excuse me, in the last five games, he's had at least one sack, one sack in for the last five. Uh, and the passes defense, I mean, you know, he's been knocking them down all year. So impressive to see Carl Loftus, you know, continuing that stretch of play. I know obviously with him being one of the chiefs, two first round picks this year and with the chiefs being absolutely desperate for edge rush help, it's taken a little while to get to where we are now, but he certainly is trending in the right direction in a big way, heading into the part of the season that really matters. Right. Exactly. Uh, the defense, you know, the Seattle was two of fourteen on third down, it's and, outrageous. and anytime your third down defense shows up, you're gonna you're gonna win pretty handily. Fourth down, Seattle was three of six. So when those money downs showed up, uh, you know, half the time the Chiefs were getting them off the field. There, they only had two hundred yards passing. Geno's had a resurgent year. He's you know been really hot, and uh, to hold their passing attack to two hundred yards was big. I really everything that the Chiefs pinned their victory on in that game was on the defense. The fact that, you know, the offense scoring 24, I mean, a lot of times with this defense, that's not going to be enough to do it, but it was easy. It was easy all game long. That was a, uh, that was a great overall defensive performance. I'm going to take for my five-star man, Travis Kelsey kind of had been in a little bit of a, I don't even want to call it a slump because, you know, it's Kelsey and, and still the best tight end in the league. Best yeah, NFL history. Exactly. But, you know, after games where he had gone in his last four games, he only went over 100 yards one time. In this game, in uh, on six catches, he went for 113 yards, including that 52-yarder where he just rumbled down the field, just did his Kelsey stuff. Um, yeah, Pat Pat put it in a bucket. Oh, the one before at the 20-yarder to yeah, Kelsey. I mean, absolutely one of the best pat throws we've ever seen. It was as incredible. well placed as we've ever ever seen from him. Uh just incredible how those two t- can just be on the same page and and I mean it couldn't have been better if Pat had walked out there and handed it to him. So Kelsey definitely gets my five star. He was uh he was big in this one. Boy, uh the trash men. We're going to we're going to tag team this. I'm going to give you the flashier pick, but I'm going to take Marquez Valdez Scantling only targeted twice in this game. Did not come up with either play. Obviously, he's he's kind of boomer bust, and he's busted a lot lately. Um, I'd love to say that the Chiefs were, you know, phasing him out of the offense, but they don't seem to be. He's no. still getting plenty of snaps. Yeah. He's still getting out there, and it was not a good performance from him. Now, I get that it was very cold, but, you know, that didn't bother big Travis Kelsey. 
you know, <laughs> it 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 didn't bother some of the other pass catchers on the team. It did but bother Marquez Valdez Scantling. He's my trash man for this game. Yeah, he um, you know, his last four games, two catches, one catch, three catches, zero catches. He's just like you said, boomer bust, yes, but maybe maybe we're saving the boom for the playoffs. Let's yeah, let's maybe our fingers crossed. They certainly haven't been saving it for the regular season that much, is for sure. Um, I'm gonna go with the like you said, the flashier of the two wide receivers that we could easily pick for trash men. That was Justin Watson. <sighs> we probably have seen Justin Watson's Woof. last significant snaps in Kansas City. Or I mean, hopefully. I hope. Um, he was 0 for 4, brutal third down drop, brutal just not on the same page with Pat. Um, the, the the drops are a big problem with him. And yeah, it was he was a fun story. And the long touchdown he caught against the Chargers was a big play in week two. But like it's been a while since Justin Watson's made a positive impact on this team. And I think at this point, the most positive impact he'll make is to step aside and let Nicole Hardman come back in and really round out that wide receiver room because he was he was an all right warm body, but um, you're not going to be winning playoff games with Justin Watson on the field. No, absolutely not. A very worthy contender with the trash ban. I mean, in a game that the Chiefs, you know, won fairly handily and and pretty much led wire to wire. He was the guy that deservedly was getting uh, that people were pulling their hair about and, and tweeting about. So uh, wild cards. These are for those of you that that don't understand the concept who are maybe new to the podcast. This is the only one that isn't really self-explanatory. Wild cards are capable of anything. And for me, that is Dustin Colquitt this week. All right. You may recall that Dustin Colquitt, the mild-mannered former Chiefs punter, took to Twitter last week to call out current Pro Bowl punter and reigning AFC special teams player of the month, Tommy Townsend, for his holding. He essentially blamed Tommy Townsend in a series of tweets for not getting the laces out for Harrison Bucker, on the field goal and extra point attempts. And this really riled up Uncle Dave, Dave Tobe, chief special teams coach, came out and said, he's right, but also I don't need him to teach me how to coach. Well, guess what, Dustin? <laughs> you lit a fire under Dave Tobe and or Tommy Townsend and or Harrison Bucker's ass because despite the frigid, horrible conditions in this game, Harrison Bucker was three for three on extra points and he was one for one on field goals. So a perfect day from Harrison Bucker, a perfect day. You could see on the broadcast, yeah. those laces were out. Okay. Yeah. They were facing front. They were where they needed to be. And so in this case, Dustin Colquitt's wild card attitude, just calling people out and dropping bombs on Twitter. It worked out. It, it led to a perfect special teams kicking performance this weekend. Dustin Colquitt is my wild card, a little unorthodox, but I think it fits. It absolutely fits. Uh, he is capable of anything, and in this case, straightening out the Chiefs kicking game is something that I didn't know anyone was capable of doing, and he seems to have unlocked it. So we appreciate you, Colquitt. Miss you, buddy. Um, I am going to go with the guy that is capable of anything, and sometimes the Chiefs, uh, they're, I think they're I think they're saving him. That's Kadarius Tony. They're, yeah. they're kind of keeping sure. his, uh, his skill set under wraps yeah, a little bit. They had to use him in that Jags game when he had the five catches for 57 yards and the touchdown. But after that, they've kind of been like, all right, Kadarius, just get out there every now and then. This game, he had one reception for eight yards. 
and it's Hutt. He uh, he snuck into the end zone on that, you know, the little pop pass. Um, kind of looked like McColl out there, and you know that's a element to this game that to this offense that hopefully we'll see more of as we get into the playoffs. Um, but yeah, Kadarius Tony is certainly capable of anything. Sometimes that's nothing, but sometimes it's wowing you with a touchdown. I mean, and you know, with Kadarius Tony, you're you're always looking to see how it looks, how he achieves what he's doing. And it was, I mean, it was a little dump off, you know, um, for an eight yard touchdown, but like he was moving. He looked like he was moving. He had pop face. He looked like, yeah, he popped, he popped. And you want Tony to pop. You don't want him to pop as you do. You want him to pop by scoring touchdowns and not pop by popping a hamstring. So it's good that he came into this game healthy. He exited this game healthy and yeah. he scored a touchdown. That's that's uh that's what you want to see from Kadarius Tony and maybe see a little bit more of that as we go forward the next couple of weeks and then obviously into the playoffs. That brings us to week 17. The Kansas City Chiefs are 12 and 3. They are facing the 14-time loser Denver Broncos who are this season Four and eleven, and coming off of one of the worst losses in Denver Broncos history, they were absolutely shellacked, fifty-one to fourteen, by the Baker Mayfield-led Los Angeles Rams, who, by the way, are five and ten and one of the <laughs> worst teams in the NFL. They did not punt in that game. Russell Wilson went fifteen of twenty-seven for two hundred fourteen yards. One touchdown in garbage time, three picks, including a pick six, a 54 quarterback rating. Brett Rippon in relief in garbage time, four of eight for 45 yards and a pick, a 27.6 quarterback rating. The Broncos had four turnovers in this game. They went three of 10 on third down. They went one of three on fourth down. They gave up six of 10 third down conversions to the Rams. The Rams had the ball for 36 minutes. It was outrageous. So. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I neglected to mention that while all of this was going on, Brett Rippon was fighting with Dalton Risner on the sideline yes. yep. because of a sack that Russell Wilson took behind the offensive line. And then, you know, the offensive line guys basically didn't want to help him up and, you know, kind of <laughs> kind of just said, you know, we're going to leave you down there, eat shit. And <laughs> Brett Rippon, the backup quarterback, didn't take kindly to that. He was getting in a fight with the offensive line on the sideline. And then... <laughs> Of course, uh, defensive end Randy Gregory was getting in a fight with Rams players after the game and, in fact, was briefly suspended for one game until the NFL decided to change their minds and reinstate him. This all happened under Nathaniel Hackett's watch. And so on Monday, the Broncos came out and fired Nathaniel Hackett. He becomes the fifth coach in NFL history to not last one complete season with the team. So it is rare. The last coach, of course, to do it was Urban Meyer last year. Bad. So that's that's how bad you have to be to get fired before the end of your first season. Now, Nathaniel Hackett was not calling plays. Okay, Uh, He obviously wasn't controlling the locker room or the sideline. So... What, what is it you'd say you do here? Yeah. And uh, yeah. Greg, Greg Penner and uh, George Payton, I suppose, uh, decided that he was no longer necessary. So he is out. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not often that after a coach's very first game, people ask, when do you think this guy will get fired? But yeah. 
that was the case with Nate Hackett. I mean, literally from the moment. I mean, people weren't. It didn't. It didn't. Absolutely. I mean, you give you give so many coaches the benefit of the doubt early on. And you could just tell you could just tell from jump that this guy was overmatched, that whatever magic he was trying to bring in from Green Bay didn't come with him. I mean, it, it was not because of anything Nathaniel Hackett was doing in Green Bay, why they were so successful on offense. And the combo of of Russell Wilson being, you know, not all he was cracked up to be coming into Denver and Nate Hackett not being all he was cracked up to be was just, it was a recipe for disaster. I want to read some quotes from Hackett's final press conference after this Rams game because I just feel like they're worth uh, worth repeating. I think they're upset for all the losing. We all are. Hackett said of the meltdown. Every one of us, that's unacceptable. That's not what we're about. That's not what we want to do. Yeah, no shit. We went in with a mindset we were going to win this game, but in the end, we weren't ready. It wasn't good. It's all of us. It starts with me without a doubt. That's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed. That's not what we're about. That's not what we've done all year. So, like, he just, that can't happen. Bottom line is, I let us down. It can't happen. I mean, it could have been from any Nathaniel Hackett press. Yes, exactly. He keeps saying, this is not what we're about, but sorry, bud, you're four and eleven, and you guys don't score points. This is what you're about, right? It's exactly what they're about. Yeah. So it was a it was an unceremonious end to his time in Denver. It it's probably I, I don't want to say bad news, but I mean I think everyone else outside of Denver would have preferred that. Hackett stuck around in Denver for a little bit longer just because he was so bad. It's, you know, they can't get any worse coach to come in there than him. So they'll probably only get better eventually by hiring somebody. But for now, for what it means for the end of this year, they couldn't even wait two more weeks until the regular season was over. You know, they they played 15 games. They couldn't even wait till their 17th game to fire him. They said, you have to leave. You just gave up 51 points to Baker Mayfield and Cam Akers. And I mean, this Rams team has nothing to play for at all. They're all on injured reserve. All their guys are out. They don't have their first round pick. They so, don't have their first round pick. They all they're doing is just I mean, they they went in there and and it was on Christmas Day. Like uh, I mean, it was in front of the whole world, and Denver just got embarrassed. I mean, that I don't know. I, I can't really rank all the worst losses by any team in NFL history, but this thing's got to be a top 10 just based on the opponent and you know all the circumstances that were in there, and then giving up fifty-one to him. I mean, fifty-one's a shit. Mayfield's been there for three weeks, and yeah. he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the yes. NFL. Yes, for like two years. Right, and now he's putting up fifty-one points and not punting against with two-two Atwell and Cam Akers. I mean, yeah, like they, it's just it's it's amazing what they did to that Denver defense. That's the other thing is that Denver defense just gave up fifty-one. Like. Yeah. They had been talking about the offense, and yeah, the offense only scoring 14 is as shitty as it's been all year. But like that Denver defense, give, and I guess one of them was a pick six late. So, get, uh, sure. you know, it was only 44 that they gave up. But right, uh, right. yeah, Denver is a mess. I'm really interested to see how they respond to Hackett's firing because yes. you know that he hadn't won many guys over in the locker room just based on the infighting and based on the shitty performance and all that stuff. So, I mean, yeah, maybe they, maybe they rally, maybe they don't, but um, yeah, uh, the chiefs are definitely getting a, about as low and rock bottom of a Broncos franchise as they've maybe ever had. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that now. So 
just in terms of the game this weekend, and this is really the extent to which we'll we'll preview this game before we kind of continue with the, the dunk on the Broncos. Um, I mean, the the new coach bump, the fired coach bump, is real. We've heard players talk about it. I actually think um, I actually think the Kelsey brothers talked about it on their podcast a month or so ago. But you know, when you get a guy that's that's not performing out of the building, I mean, the guy at the top who really wasn't keeping people accountable and I mean, he literally didn't, he wasn't calling plays. So like uh, he wasn't controlling the sideline or the locker room or calling plays. (laughs) So like he really was doing nothing. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, how much of a bump can you really get for firing a guy like that? I get that like it's addition by subtraction, but like you're not really even subtracting anything. Like, yeah, he wasn't doing anything. So, I mean, you would need someone to actively step up and do something to replace him doing nothing. And I just don't, (laughs) I don't really see that happening. I don't really get it. So let's talk about his replacement really quick, because this is the man that's going to be on the sidelines on Sunday, Jerry Rosberg. Okay. I would be lying to you. If I told you that I had heard Jerry Rosberg's name before week two of the 2022 NFL season. And he is so forgettable that even though he was hired as an assistant to the head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, after Hackett botched the end game in Seattle so bad in week one, that they decided he needed a game management guy in his ear and hired Jerry Rosberg that I actually forgot that Jerry That's Rosberg, who like, I forgot yeah. his name. I, I, yeah. I knew that they hired a guy and it was funny and it was a fun story in week two after they kicked that absurd 63 yard field goal attempt or whatever it was back in week one. Although, you know, in hindsight, like, were they really going to pick up a fourth and seven with Russell Wilson? Come right. On. Maybe yeah. Hackett knew what he was doing. Maybe, maybe he knew what he's doing all along. <laughs> we're going to find out because now Nathaniel Hackett is gone and Jerry Rosberg is the Broncos head coach. So he was the Ravens special teams coordinator from 2008 to 2018, 10 years before that he had the same role in Atlanta for a year and Cleveland going back to 2001. So, uh, essentially 17 years as an NFL special teams coordinator. He retired three years ago. Okay. The guy is old and yeah. he was, he spent three years in retirement. Okay. He's 67 years old. And three years later, he gets the call from the Broncos and said, Hey, um, our coach think, doesn't know how to coach. Yeah. Yeah. Our <laughs> coach doesn't know like the basics of when to call timeouts and whether he should go for it on fourth down or kick a field goal at the end of the game. Can you come in and tell him how to do that? And again, he was not an assistant head coach. He was literally the assistant to the head coach. Okay. It sounds like a bit from the office. It is a bit from the office. Literally his title was assistant to the head coach. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So So three years later, he gets called out of retirement to be the assistant to the head coach. And now he's the Broncos head coach. (laughs) It is an absurd situation. Jerry well, Rosberg, Broncos head coach. And so if people were upset at coaching decisions that have been made in this four and 11 season by the Broncos, <laughs> sure. like spoiler alert, probably Jerry Rosberg probably had a lot to do with that. <laughs> like sure, the, he's the man behind the curtain. Yeah, exactly. He was the one pulling the strings all along. So yeah, um, no head coaching experience ever. And Really, no success with this current Broncos team. I mean, what is it he would say he does here? Like, if if he's been telling Hackett what to do, that ain't working either. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Now, when you say no head coaching experience ever, I'm looking at his resume here. I He literally, going back to 
his assistant coaching gig at Shanley High School yeah. in 1979. No one's I mean, ever we're, given we're him a raise. We're going back 40 years. Yep. Okay. He's never been a head coach at any level until he became the head coach of the Denver Broncos. <laughs> I mean, it's not a Jeff Saturday situation, no. but in some ways it's like almost as absurd <laughs> as getting Jeff Saturday to coach your head football or your, your, your NFL football franchise. Right. Yeah. So he was not their first choice. And we have to talk about that as well, because defensive coordinator at Jero Evero was offered the job and I knew something was up. I was actually driving back from Kansas city to Colorado when the tweet came out that Nathaniel Hack was hired. So this, or was fired. So my, my wife broke this news to me um, and she doesn't follow sports at all. So somebody must have <laughs> posted about it on her Facebook or something like that. And of course I was furious because I was driving and I couldn't tweet about it, but I was like, who, who they hire? And she's like, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't say, and I was like, well, that's weird to like fire your head coach and not immediately in the same press release, right. Say who your coach is going to be. Right. And like three hours later, Jerry Rosberg's the guy. So it turns out they offered the job to defensive coordinator, Jiro Evero. He runs the only good part of the Broncos team this year. They are still seventh in defensive DVOA, which is actually a huge improvement over where they were with Vic Fangio last year. They were 20th yep. last year. Yep. So Jiro Evero has been doing an incredible job. And seventh, by the way, is after they got that bomb dropped on them by the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, I think they were fourth points. going into that game. So they were top five playing at a really good level, even despite being put in all these horrible situations by the offense, he turned it down. And I guess the reason for that is he of course said, he's like, I want to focus on, you know, my unit for the last couple of weeks. That makes the most sense, which it does. You know, he should probably keep coordinating the defense since he's the only one that actually knows how to do his job. Right. Might as well keep that, keep that rolling. But I guess it's probably because he just doesn't want to start off his head coaching career. Oh, and two, like put himself in a, a two games to nothing hole because yeah. he's going to be a head coach based on the product that he put on the field this year. And I'm guessing since he turned down the interim job in Denver, that he's probably not going to be the coach in Denver. Yeah. It's a really interesting dynamic because when you think about the relationship between the coach and the team, you know, these, the interim coach, it's more about just stepping in and kind of plugging the holes in the sinking ship and making sure that, you know, that things don't completely unravel before they hire the next head coach. Sure. And make sure you show up to the game. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, when a team asks a guy to be an interim head coach, they're just saying like, Hey, shit's on fire. Can you just come in and, and just, just help help so that no more people die in this fire. And instead, you know, I don't think Evero's that worried about his coaching record. I think he's worried about being associated to the performance of this team. <laughs> sure. And if he comes in as the as, as the new head coach and they go out there in the last two weeks of the season and they get their shit kicked in by the Chiefs and the Chargers, then like you know, then then he's, he's going to be interviewing in yep, interview. right. yep. Right. He's going to be talking to new teams next year and be like, "Yeah, well, they were already a, they were already a lost cause by I, by the time I even took over, and they'd be like, "Well, weren't you the defensive coordinator?" I mean, it'd be it'd be a mess, and I think he would rather just disassociate and just say, "I'm just going to stick with my unit, which is the only unit on this team worth a damn anyway." And you know, good luck to the offense. I'm sure, and maybe he doesn't have any 
offensive, like maybe it wouldn't have worked. And and instead of falling on your face for two weeks and realizing that he doesn't coach, let him go interview and go sign a big deal with somebody and go, you know, make, make your money and fail with them. It just, I think it was a really big sign that he is not going to be the next Broncos head coach. Could be wrong, but that's how it looks. Okay. So now just to continue the dunk on the Broncos segment of this podcast, we have to talk about who the Broncos head coach will be because they do get a head start. They can start interviewing now. They were allowed to start interviewing with two weeks left in the season if they fired their coach. And that's what we saw last year with Urban Meyer. Uh, they ended up, the Jags ended up waiting quite a while to hire Doug Peterson. But the Broncos can start their head coaching search now. They have an all star cast, including former secretary Condoleezza Rice. Condi. Who I don't want to diminish. She actually she does have a lot she of. She knows ball. She does know ball. She absolutely knows ball, but it is funny, you know, to have her on the committee. It just is. Yeah, it's just random. Yeah. It's Condoleezza Rice. She was in the George yep. Bush White House. It just is. It is random. Uh, the, of course, the Walton Penner ownership group will be hiring their first coach. They didn't hire Nathaniel Hackett. He was hired. They do not know ball. They do not know ball. They have no idea what ball even is. They just know that the ball that they have is <laughs> not good. <laughs> they know that it's not good and they needed to go in a different direction. So, of course, uh, the big names were immediately bandied about. If you guys haven't learned this by now, um, I I certainly have, have grown uh, deeper in my appreciation for this living in Colorado. But the Broncos media, man, and their fan base is just out of control. Like, they yep. will throw out the most outrageous yep. nonsense, and their fans will eat it up. I mean, we went through two years of the Aaron Rodgers saga, only yep. for them to trade for Russell Wilson. We went through, like, Five months of Denver is a Super Bowl contender. Russell Wilson is going to be an instant upgrade for this team. This is a Super Bowl contender for the next five years. And as soon as literally no sooner had Nathaniel Hackett been hired or excuse me, fired. I don't know why. Sure. Same. No, hired, no fired sooner, instantly. No sooner had Nathaniel Hackett been fired than Albert Breer, who, of course, is a national media figure, went out and said, like, I mean, go crazy. Like. They could get Jim Harbaugh. They could get John Harbaugh. They could get Bill Belichick. They, they could get Sean Payton. You're just like throwing all these names out there. You can get Vince and, Lombardi if they want. <laughs> sure, of course. I mean, with that kind of money, you know, bring Vince back from the dead and yeah. throw him out there and they can run the single wing, whatever. Yeah, yeah. The fact of the matter is uh, Sean Payton, of course, was the name that that kind of made the rounds because he's available. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they know that he can accept a head coaching position. He's just kind of hanging out. And almost immediately upon Sean Payton's name being linked to this Denver Broncos job, we got a rumor from uh, Pro Football Talk saying that the word around the word around the league, the word on the street, is that Sean Payton might be back with the Saints. So obviously that's coming from somewhere. Yeah. One presumes like, that nah. it's coming from Sean Payton. Uh -huh. And so, like, the second his name gets thrown in consideration for the Broncos job, he leaks to the media. No, I'd rather go back to having Andy Dalton as my quarterback being like $80 million over the cap yeah. than Coach Russell Wilson. Yeah, the Saints aren't a great situation. <laughs> no, they're a terrible situation. Anymore. They're honestly, yeah. like, one of the worst situations in the NFL. And he's like, no, I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather go there than Denver. Well, and do you remember the one rumor that was bandied about with him before – the rumor that he was going back to the saints was that if he were to go somewhere, his defensive coordinator would be Vic Fangio. Right. right. And so, I mean, 
that's never going to happen. He's never going to bring Vic back in to Denver to well, be Vic's the DC not, there. Vic's not gonna go there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, but they just that's what they do. They just they're delusional and they just think like whoever the most possible brilliant thing that would ever happen, they're definitely going to want to come to Denver. You know what this is? This is Peyton Manning's fault. This is what it this is. is. Because one hundred percent. Because before Peyton Manning. They, they didn't have these delusions of grandeur. They didn't Correct. think that, Correct. you know, we're going to just have the goat walk in the front door and save our franchise like right. that. But now that he did that, now they just think that's how you win in the NFL. That's what right. you do. You right. hire Tom Brady or you hire Aaron right. Rodgers. Right. You just bring him in, and right. then that's you how you first win. first ballot Hall of Famer Russell yeah. and you're a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, exactly. That's all it takes. Freaking you can idiot. throw out a random no-name guy in Nathaniel Hackett who's never coached in the NFL before and just bring in a quarterback that just kind of does his own Russell Wilson thing and boom instant Super Bowl contender (laughs) guess what it's not that easy as they are now finding out so one final point of discussion here before we close this podcast out uh like what's what's their plan like (laughs) what are they doing in that club what do they do uh, what, how do I, what, what do they make? They're stuck with <laughs> Russell Wilson. So presumably they want to hire somebody who thinks that he can fix Russell Wilson, which again, by the way, rules out Sean Payton because Sean Payton is way too smart to think that he can fix Russell Wilson, right? Like yeah. I get yeah. that he coached another short quarterback, but Drew Brees like actually knows how to read a defense and like make progressions and throw with anticipation, which are things that Russell Wilson has never and will not ever understand. So, and, and if this had been brand new Russ coming over from Seattle, you probably maybe could have convinced Sean Payton that it could work. He's seen it now. He's seen him flame out. Like, like he knows at this point, like, nah, that is the tape is out there. Everybody, everybody with a brain, knows yes. that Russ is washed and he's unfixable. Yes. So what you're trying to do is attract somebody that, like, to get this job, you have to go into the interview and be like, ah, yeah, I can fix Russell Wilson. Here's how we're going to do it, right? Like, that's how you get that's the, the PowerPoint job. presentation. But yep. if yep. you sell this ownership group on, I can fix Russell Wilson, and then <laughs> you fucked. don't, you're fired. Yeah. You're, you're going to get fired. And yeah. so they're trying to sell a job to, I mean, they're essentially trying to hire somebody to do a job that can't be done. Okay. So whoever they get, let's say they hire Bill Belichick, right? Like the Patriots fire him and Bill comes to Denver to take over, right? Right. Bill Belichick's not fixing Russell Wilson. So what are you going to do two years from now? uh, Russell Wilson's still broken. You're going to have to draft a quarterback. And we've seen, I mean, the, the leash is not that long. The guy that they hire this off season probably isn't going to be there in two years because they're still going to suck with Russell Wilson, a quarterback. They don't have the draft capital, you know, to really fill out their roster the next couple of years. And they're probably going to lose Evero. You know, the defense is probably going to regress, right? Like whoever they hire, whatever magical, you know, mystical coach that they get to run the franchise is probably just going to be gone in two years anyway. Absolutely. So the, the delusions of grandeur also make it really hard for that fan base to accept anything less than basically Super Bowl contention. John John Harbaugh, exactly right. And so the natives are going to get restless really early into, into this next regime because they're all just, you know, think that they're one move away from glory again. And they're really more like a thousand moves away from glory. And they, 
they're in such a bad spot with every aspect of building a football team. They're in such a bad spot with that quarterback and they have no money and they have no draft picks. Their pets heads are falling off. Like it's just a, it's a bad, it's a bad situation. And when you have a bad situation, you need to get someone who's desperate to come in. You yeah. need to get, you know, you need totally. to get someone with nothing to lose. Eric the enemy. Eric Bieniemy. I mean, really, like you, if if Eric Bieniemy thinks like, well, fine, if I'm gonna go over fifty three on head coaching interviews or whatever it is, but then we get this situation that's a, a no win situation, like at least I can check off NFL head coach on my resume right. before I get right. fired, right. It, you know, instantly in that one. So, I mean that that fit, honestly, like EB is Colorado guy and. Yep is definitely a guy that would would relish in competing against the Chiefs two times a year. He would like, also relish just lighting up Russell Wilson's phony ass. Oh like, my god, I, yes. I would I yes. want it to happen just to experience I mean like, you know, the the the, the personality office, clash. The park the the parking spots, yes. you know, the special privileges that Russell Wilson have. Oh my god. You think EB could get Russ's phone number? Yeah, probably not. Probably, <laughs> probably not. not. But but if Eric Bieniemy is going to be on the sidelines drawing with Patrick Mahomes, yeah, the greatest right. quarterback of all time, right? Oh my God, he would literally. I mean, he he would bury Russell Wilson. <laughs> that's that's a situation that I feel like we have to see now. So yeah, I think uh, I think EB's a it's a good fit based on his career you know, I guess arc or whatever career trajectory. And the fact that the Broncos like they, they're not going to convince anyone worth a damn that that job is the job to go in and get. I mean, they, I I don't know how they would. So it's a really, really interesting hire from this point on, because I mean, with the no picks and the no money and the shitty quarterback, like, (laughs) Not a that's a bad career. you know like we, that's still a business somehow right <laughs> yeah the business is having walmart money and paying somebody like 10 million dollars to be your coach but guess what you're just going to be paying that guy dead money in a couple of years after you fire him it's going to be a john gruden situation the broncos are terrible it's always sunny and cheese kingdom baby mm-hmm. 